Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. The 2022 legislative session was a short one and ended in May of this year. So what got passed and what still needs to be looked at? We talk with two Eastern Connecticut legislators to find out more. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. The Connecticut legislative session for 2022 was a short one this year, from February to May, as it's also an election year. And COVID-19 didn't just disrupt all of our lives, but that of the legislative process as well, causing extra work for the state legislators, trying to catch up from previous sessions and process as many bills as they could in the shortest session. So what exactly got through and what still needs to be worked on? I caught up with Democrat State Senator Kathy Austin, who represents the 19th District in the region, and Republican State Representative Greg Howard, who represents the 43rd District, to find out what they and their colleagues got up to during the 2022 legislative session. State Senator Kathy Austin and State Representative Greg Howard, to you both, a welcome back. Uh, good morning. Good morning. We had both of you on before the short legislative session started early this year. It ended May 4th. Kathy, I'm going to turn to you first. There was a lot of business, obviously, that needed to be got through because obviously COVID had caused, you know, a little bit of a backlog. What were some of the things that uh, you felt that, you know, you did manage to get through that you were happy to see? I'm chair of two committees. I'm also on six other committees. But as chair, you get to set the agenda that will be in your respective committees. And on public safety, we did a whole plethora of bills relative to some adjustments to the police accountability bill. But we also did a lot of work relative to mental health and catalytic converters and uh, other things. And so that's one thing that had to get done that were all directly relative to the pandemic. On appropriations, Every single bill that requires money in it comes through appropriations. Personally, I've been working on a number of areas concerning non-for-profits with our social safety net for those with developmental disabilities, those with uh, mental health concerns, those daycare providers. This was actually an extremely busy session to deal with issues concerning the pandemic, but things that we had been working on for almost a decade now in particular relative to the developmental disabilities world. And Greg, from your point of view as well, I mean, like we said, it was a short session. It's an election year. There was business, you know, from the previous sort of like session that's to get done. And as Kathy just pointed out, it was very, very busy. How did you find it? So it was, I mean, you know, as Kathy said, it, it, you know, it was, it was a very, very short session with a lot of work to do. So it was much more of a sprint than a marathon. But as she said, the chair set the agendas, but I'll say, you know, as a ranking on public safety, you know, we sit in those screening meetings together 
And I think just about every bill came out of, of public safety with bipartisan support, but for maybe one or two where it was just sort of, you know, things that just need to be worked on a little bit here and there. But generally, you know, we, we worked really well on it. It was nice because we had to work together. You know, Kathy and I always work well together, as we thought we've talked about previously, but, you know, both sides of the aisle really had to work together to get things done because we just didn't have a lot of time. So from that standpoint, you know, it was, it, that was my first short section, but it was a great thing to see, you know, sort of that bipartisanship. But me personally, you know, there were some things that I really wanted to get done. You know, I, as you know, I, I work a lot with the youth and, you know, children's mental health has been in, at the forefront of importance for me since really before I ran and in part why I ran. And, you know, we, we did extend uh, a child guidance center to Pogatuck to make it more accessible to folks in my district. And Kathy was helpful with me on that. And then I have my, you know, some of the local fire departments came to the table and said, well, you know, we used to get reimbursement for calls on the highway that's costing us a lot of money. We go up there often. And I called Kathy and said, you know, we could run this through public safety and approach, you know, she was the perfect person to talk to. And again, you know, that came through. So it, it was good. And, you know, as you see, talked about, we, we did a lot of work on police accountability. We're still tweaking that police accountability bill uh, in public safety. One of the biggest things that happened was the police accountability bill that passed in 2020 required all municipalities to have uh, CLIA accreditation which is an expensive, plea is a private organization, expensive proposition. And in some cases, actually, some municipalities really didn't have the infrastructure in their building to, to reach it. So recognizing what we were trying to accomplish there with, with a standardized accreditation for all agencies, we partnered, if you will, with Post, Connecticut Post, and, and their accreditation standards, which meet sort of the same professional standards, but at a much lower cost for the municipalities. And again, you know, there was a couple of stumbling blocks or one major stumbling block in the legislature with that, that Kathy and I just, we, we can we knew it was important. We worked together. We pushed, we pushed, we pushed and got it done. So that was a huge relief, I think, for a lot of municipalities. So a lot of good things did get done. And Kathy, I want to turn back to you and, and Greg, I'll be asking you this as well, because you just touched upon it. Mental health for kids. It's become a very hot button issue. We see reports in the media on a fairly regular basis. There have been surveys carried out by various school districts, concerns about the mental health for children because of the situation that COVID brought about. Just talk to us, Kathy, a little bit about that because obviously good to see that that got through and obviously we need to protect our children. Well, absolutely. We need to protect our children, but mental health has been an issue that I have been working on for literally since I entered the General Assembly and have been able to address some of those issues. This year, we worked on children's mental health and adult mental health in a number of bills that came out of both the House and the Senate that converged together. And I would say that all three of those bills, SB1, SB2, and 5001, were all supported on a bipartisan basis. And the whole legislature recognized that we had the ability to fund programs that would make a real difference in people's lives, uh, mobile crisis centers across the state 24-7. To take some of the pressure off of other portions of our social safety net that were expected to deal with mental health concerns, and never had the resources. So this year, there were transformative changes made to mental health. We're looking at employing more social workers so that schools can access that care too. We put in within the confines of the mental health bill, we're building out hospital areas to help out to make sure that children have beds should they end up in the hospital. But ultimately, the goal is to provide enough services before someone ends up in 
crisis in a hospital situation. And these three bills accomplished that, I would say, across the board, across the state with ability to address many of the issues. And I'm sure that this is a bill, these three bills are bills that we will be looking at to make sure that they are funded. That was the ultimate goal that uh, my co-chair in appropriations and I always want to make sure that we're not just funding something for one year, this is a one-year program. This is going to be ongoing. And so we made sure it was funded in future years. Yeah, because I mean, and Greg, I want to pick up on that with you, if I may, not just mental health, as Kathy was saying, other programs. I mean, we've seen a lot in the press about the American Rescue Act funds, ARPA funds, which, you know, every state has been receiving, but it's a sort of a one and done in many cases. And of course, you know, one has to be careful about how that's spent. Like you said, that it isn't just spent for one thing, and then it's not able to be carried on. You actually get into the crux of, you know, the disagreement between the two parties on the budget. But going back to what, what Kathy was talking about with, with kids' mental health, Mental health across the board with adults and, and, you know, I mean, I know this from my law enforcement experience, you know, the senator knows this from her experience in DOC that mental health plays an enormous part in our judicial system and how people end up in it, you know, sort of intercept that, if you will, and, and get some intervention with kids earlier, you know, we have a much higher success rate, but certainly the pandemic had an increase, you know, we I believe it was in appropriations where we got the a letter from Connecticut Children's uh, last winter saying that they have seen a notable increase in kids into their ED with mental health. So, but I do think, you know, I will tell you sort of anecdotally from the 43rd that kids are, are re- responding, they're returning to normal uh, at a great rate, you know, uh, and I, as you guys know, I'm involved in youth sports and I know that enrollment in youth sports is up across the board from every sport, lacrosse, baseball, football, you name it, kids are, are really getting more involved. I think they're, they're doing better that way. But to the comprehension that was in you know involved in in the bills that Kathy mentioned you know every kid's different Brian so what we tried to do as a legislature is craft legislation that was going to allow each kid a path to what's going to work best for them because in some cases for the kid to do better you need to provide services to the parents to give them better opportunity of course you know we have DCF and all a lot of uh, social workers and agencies and social services that can be involved but to sort of broaden the accessibility for each family to get into the place that they need to get those kids back on track. And that was something that we all worked on really hard together. There was a, you know, a small subcommittee bipartisan that put a lot, a lot of work into it. And, and I think the final product is going to be great for everybody in Connecticut, all, all the families, for sure. Let's quickly turn now to uh, the taxpayers, of course. Tax is always a big issue for all of us, no matter you know what our income levels. Connecticut taxpayers will see $600 million in tax cuts over the next year, including a continuation of things like free bus fare, 25% gas tax holiday through to December 1st, various other things as well. Kathy, talk to us a little bit about that because it is a big issue for people. It is a big issue for people. But again, when we talk about sustainability in the future, we want to make sure that we're not uh, promising something that we can't keep in the future. And that that has always been one of my greatest uh, concerns. And as many people know, we had 70 years of non-payment of our debt service and pension liabilities to the fullest extent that they should have been paid. And over the last decade, we have been working on policies to grapple with in particular, our pension, our unfunded pension liability. And why is this important for the tax issues? Because we are actually finally making a difference. Uh, Two years ago, we not only paid uh, what is called the actuarial amount, the amount that the actuaries say are required to be paid on our pension system, but we also paid an additional $63 million. And 
we were all seeing that the policies that we had put in relative to the return on investment and and stabilizing the funds were finally coming to fruition. This a year ago we put 1.6 billion dollars into our pension fund and this year we will put 3.7 billion dollars when we ended the session this short session this very short session this year uh, we thought it was going to be 3.5 billion and it's up to 3.7 billion dollars that will go on to our pension funds and and what does that do for the future it essentially decreases the actuarial amount that we will have to pay by about $400,000 this will also help us out to make sure that those important issues like mental health like daycare helping out our nonprofits who take care of our most in need residents will be able to continue funding those programs so these go hand in hand with each other we did provide relief for child tax credit i'm hoping people are applying for the child tax credit because the end date is the end of july we did provide some back to a property tax reform personally I would like to see us do far more and not fire our communities to count so much on taxes for school programs and for schools. Fully 60 to 80% of most communities budgets are for the school system. And then uh, we did a, a bit with the car taxes. I have a different way that I would like to see us do this. I think we should get rid of car taxes completely. I don't think that car taxes many other states don't tax cars and I think that uh, we should get away from this. It's sort of ingrained in our state and uh, we have a couple of groups that don't want to see us get rid of this, the uh, Council on Small Towns and the uh, Connecticut Conference on Municipalities because they count on that as part of their tax base in communities. I think there's other ways for us to handle this and i think getting rid of the taxes on cars across the board makes it far more equitable because we all know very rich communities like western connecticut which has mill rates of 11 mills or 14 mills pays far different for a car that is of equal value in another part of the state so that's what i would um, have to say about that i could talk about this but i know greg's talking <laughs> at the bit to get in <laughs> I hear you. I just want to quickly ask Greg now, obviously, legislators, you gave yourselves a, a pay boost. And it's the first time I believe in 21 years that uh, that uh, has actually occurred. Just talk just quickly, Greg, about that, because I don't think people actually realise that the, the legislator in Connecticut is part time and that, you know, all of you have other jobs as well. And it is important because as much as people, you know, don't like to see money spent, maybe they may see it unnecessarily. We need to keep legislators here, obviously, you know, doing the important work that uh, people like yourself and, and Kathy do. And obviously, you need to be compensated for that. Yeah, so we are technically a part-time legislature. Many of us do not do this part-time. It's something that, you know, we do full-time plus during the session and, you know, part to full-time during the, the off-season. But part of the problem is, you know, finding qualified people to run for office, you know, and that's where that was sort of the catalyst for for that discussion. A lot of people you know, announced that they weren't running again. And, and one person, actually a couple of people, one person in particular, Representative Wilson actually said on the floor during announcements that he was not running again and said, look, you know, it, it, the pay's just not worth it. And, you know, he's probably right. The pay probably isn't worth it. But I think I've had this conversation in, in other interviews where, to me, I understand that. And I get that we need to incentivize good people because we need good people in the legislature for sure. 
But I also think that part of the deterrent isn't just money. I think it's, it's you know, the political atmosphere among a lot of things. And I look at, you know, my, my time in legislature, my commitment there as a responsibility, certainly an honor and a responsibility more than a privilege. And, you know, it's something where I do it for, for the people of this district. And I think, and I, and I said to, to somebody, uh, another interviewer one time, you know, I think globally, we have the last couple of decades, Brian, you know, shifted to a, a society of me instead of a society of we, you know, and I think that we need to raise our kids to be more embedded in their community, to be more a part of their community and more committed to it and focused in on it. So while I understand it, my fear becomes that we will have people that will, and it's not a lot of money, right? But to some people it could be more than they're making otherwise. And, and you know, like I said, you have insurance and, and other benefits, but what I would hate to see is people who run for those offices. And I think we have this, you know, nationally who run for those offices for perhaps the, what I consider to be the wrong reasons, whether it be finances, insurance, you know, elitist notoriety, whatever that, that people do these things for. And it could have that backfiring effect. I, I will tell you that, and I, you know, I think my Senator colleague will, will agree I work really hard. I put a ton of time in. You know, I, I will say to anybody who asks me, I don't know anybody who puts more time in than Kathy does. I don't look at it at no point in time when I decided to run again in 2022 did I say, well, is the money really worth it? That was that was never even a consideration. But I know that's me, right? And I and I know other people see it differently. But I get it. I just don't think it was the way to do it. I think we need to sort of make cultural shifts as a society to get more people to be interested in taking that spot. I want to end the interview for both of you on the fact that it is an election year. You are both up for re-election. Kathy, obviously that's ahead. The elections obviously are later in the year. How busy are you going to be getting part of your re-election campaign? I normally, for a re-election, go out to every single community, knock on doors, make phone calls to people, respond to different events that people would like me to attend to make sure that I hearing from the people and what they would like to see, both currently and in the next legislative session. My work week is generally seven days a week, and generally I start before dawn and work through the evening just to address issues, to try to make sure that I'm not missing any of the very important concerns that people people bring to me. So I expect to increase that workload as we move forward. I actually need to get out walking, so I'm looking forward to it. It's always important to me to meet people where they are, not expect them to come to me. So I'm very excited about the upcoming election cycle, very much interested in what people have to say. Uh, so I will probably be very busy. <laughs> I'm sure you will be. And Greg, you? So for me, Brian, most of my uh, you know campaigning, if you will, I, I take a different tact. I think that some of my colleagues do. You know, I think as Kathy said, you know, engaging your constituents is important. But for me, a lot of that happens organically. You know, between you know my job with the police department and then my involvement with my kids and my community and you know, all the different things that I do, I probably talk to on any given average day maybe 35 to 50 people, and it's not the same people all the time. You know, different people that uh, you know because I I go to the grocery store, I go to these places, and I only have these two towns. Well, now it's sort of changed a bit, but so it's easy for me to engage with people sort of organically throughout. Naturally, in the campaign season, you need to get you know your your uh, your your positions out there, your platform, if you will, out there. But for me, it's been and, and as an incumbent, again, you're 
constituent engagement sort of happens organically and it's been happening for two years. You know, people email you, get back to them. And that, that sort of spreads around. I think that people will say to their friends, well, one thing I know about Greg is I may not agree with him on this or that, but I know this when I call him and need help, he's right there. And he responds immediately. And, and that's where, like I said, it's not a part-time legislature when you look at it that way. You know, I mean, I have three ongoing right now issues that I'm dealing with for my constituents that I'm addressing for them. So th- those are things that happen organically. And for me, Frankly, I'm busy between two full-time jobs, basically, right? If you can't legislature full-time. And then in the fall, as you guys know, I run that football program and, you know, I have 92 football players and 70 cheerleaders, which 300 some odd parents I'm dealing with through the fall too and scheduling and whatnot. But again, I do all these things. It takes away from my time to campaign, but if you look at it sort of organically campaigning in the process. So, you know, I get excited about it. Like Kathy says, to, to be able to go out and say, this is what I've done for you for the last two years. I get excited to hear from people and get their input. So I'm prepared for the next session. I know when I say, well, what my district wants, I know what I'm talking about, but there's parts of it that aren't exciting. And and she knows this. It's sort of the dirty part of politics where you hear things about yourself. It's like, what? You know, and and it's just, it's part of how it goes and you just have to deal with it. But when you have a young family, that gets a little bit difficult. And and frankly, it goes back to what we were talking about before, you know, those cultural shifts, you know, those are the things that I think about when I, when I run again, you know, what is this going to do to Shane and the boys? Who's going to say what this time, you know, and it's unfortunate that and, and, and everybody, both sides do this. I'm not saying it's one side or the other, but this is unfortunately where our politics is. And those are the cultural shifts that I think that we need to make to incentivize more people to step forward and say, yeah, it's going to be a pleasurable experience, not a negative one. Well, State Senator Kathy Austin and State Representative Greg Howard, it's always great to have you on the podcast. We wish you both success in your re-election campaigns. And of course, we look forward to speaking to you down the line as well. But in the meantime, both of you have a safe summer. We know you're both going to be very busy. And again, thanks for joining us on Connecticut East this week. My pleasure. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Brian. Looking for a fast, friendly and convenient local pharmacy? Then try the Nutmeg Pharmacy Group with five convenient locations in eastern Connecticut. We're a full-service pharmacy supplying COVID vaccinations, prescription service, gifts, cards, and more, plus free local delivery. And it's easy to transfer to Nutmeg Pharmacy. Let us show you how. Find our contact details for our Higginham, Centerbrook, Moodis, Taftville, and New London stores online at nutmegpharmacy.com. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at GreenValleyTreeWorks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by... Healing Therapies Through Sharing is Eastern Connecticut's Holistic Wellness Center for those recently diagnosed or living with a cancer diagnosis and their caregivers. We offer a range of services including adult and pediatric oncology massage, lymphatic drainage, craniosacral therapy, yoga for cancer, and much more. For details about our full range of services and our team of licensed professional therapists and providers, visit our website at healingtherapiesct.org or call us on 860-443-0800. We look forward to hearing from you. Connecticut ranks among the top 10 states in offering mental health services for its youth population. That's according to the latest report from Mental Health America. But could more be done? Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service reports. 
The Children's Hospital Association says in 2020, early in the pandemic, there was a 24% increase in mental health emergency department visits for kids ages 5 through 11. Bob Duncan, chief operating officer of the Connecticut Children's Medical Center and Health System, says strengthening Medicaid's mental health investment is needed and the nation needs more providers in the pediatric mental health system. We don't have enough psychologists and psychiatrists to meet the demand needed. Currently, there are 10 child psychiatrists per 100,000 kids. It is estimated that we need 47 per 100,000 kids. He shared his findings as part of a coalition that met this month with members of Congress and the Secretary of Health and Human Services. However, Duncan thinks the divisive political landscape could stand in the way of facing these challenges promptly and agreeing on dollar amounts for funding improvements to the system. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. New Haven-based Gateway Terminal, which operates State Pier in New London and the Port of New Haven, is expanding their business to Montville. The company has secured the former site of AES Thames Cogeneration and Westrock Corrugated Packaging Plant as a road salt distribution center for the eastern part of the state. Steve Farrelly is the owner of Driven Enterprises, who had a salt business at State Pier until he was displaced by the Connecticut Port Authority as they redeveloped State Pier for the offshore wind industry. Farrelly says he isn't surprised by Gateway's move. I believe that they're following my lead. I think they took a page out of my book. You know, the fact that they're doing this proves that there has always been a need, you know, which Driven recognized and we addressed it eight years ago for a salt pile in the southeast corner of Connecticut for better salt distribution. Farrelly also says he looked at the site in Montville but had concerns about its closeness to residential housing. When I looked at the property, that was one concern that I didn't want to deal with the liability of, you know, going up and down that road with trucks that you can't monitor all day long. Sooner or later, something could happen. And because you're in that residential area, I don't think that's a good mix. Gateway suffered long delays and salt distribution issues last winter because of major storms as they were the only facility supplying road salt to the entire state. Gateway say they hope to have their new Montville Salt Distribution Centre open ahead of the winter season this year. A new National Suicide and Crisis Helpline number has been launched by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. The easier-to-remember 988 three-digit number replaces the older 10-digit National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. John Palmieri from SAMHSA is the 988 team lead and explains the changes and what people can expect when they contact the service. The change came about for a number of different reasons, but the primary one is to ease access to the lifeline for an easier to remember code for individuals who are in crisis to be able to access supports in in real time through chat, call, or text. So when an individual calls, texts, or chats to access 988 services, they will be connected to a trained crisis counselor who will be able to provide support, to listen to what their concerns are, provide stabilization services, de-escalate the crisis, and then provide linkages and referrals to ongoing supports and services. The new number connects people to one of 200 state and local call centers across the country, as well as linking into the Veterans Crisis Line as well. The Biden administration increased federal investments in the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline 18-fold from $24 million to $432 million to help scale up center capacity and services to those in need. 
The United States had one death by suicide every 11 minutes in 2020, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. People needing assistance can also access help via the Lifeline website at 988lifeline.org. And four eminent Connecticut women were honored recently and inducted into the Immigrant Hall of Fame. The annual event is held by the National Immigrant Heritage Center based in New Britain, Connecticut, and Demetrius Gianaros, the organization's president, explains why the Hall of Fame was created. The Immigrant Heritage Hall of Fame was created to celebrate the diverse ethnic heritage of the American nation, of the U.S., by honoring individuals and institutions who exemplify the best of their immigrant and ethnic heritage, and those that have made significant contributions to their community, the state, the nation, and the world beyond us. This year's inductees were all women, a first for the Hall of Fame, and a holdover from 2020 and the Year of the Woman due to the COVID pandemic. One of them was interim president of the University of Connecticut, Dr. Radenka Marek. Marek is originally from the former Yugoslavia and came to the U.S. in 2001 and says along with her other inductees, this recognition is a powerful message to women at a time when their rights are being eroded in the country. So this is more than just about four of us being celebrated. This is about us setting the stage of the future for the young generations of the women that they can get it done, that we are there to support them and be with them. This year's other inductees were Judith Altman, a human rights activist and Holocaust survivor, Marilda Gandera, a business and philanthropic leader, and chaplain Ida Mansour, a scholar and activist for interreligious understanding. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.